0: Chapter Twenty-One of *Katrina* by Robert Louis Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Wayne Cook. Chapter Twenty-One: The Voyage into Holland. The ship lay at a single anchor, well outside the pier of Leith, so that all we passengers must come to it by the means of skiffs this was very little troublesome for the reason that the day was flat calm very frosty and cloudy and with a low shifting fog upon the water the body of the vessel was thus quite hid as i drew near but the tall spars of her stood high and bright in a sunshine like the flickering of a fire she proved to be a very roomy commodious merchant but somewhat blunt in the bows and laden extraordinarily deep with salt salted salmon and fine white linen stockings for the dutch upon my coming on board the captain welcomed me once sang out of Lesmahago, i believe a very hearty friendly tarpaulin of a man but at the moment in rather of a bustle there had no other passengers yet appeared so that i was left to walk about upon the deck viewing the prospect and wondering a good deal what these farewells should be which i was promised all Edinburgh and the Pentland hills glinted above me in a kind of smoosty brightness, now and again overcome with blots of cloud. Of Leith there was no more than the tops of chimneys visible, and on the face of the water, where the har lay, nothing at all. Out of this I was presently aware of a sound of oars pulling, and a little after, as if out of the smoke of a fire, a boat issued. There sat a grave man in the stern-sheets, well muffled from the cold, and by his side a tall, pretty, tender figure of a maid that brought my heart to a stand. I had scarce the time to catch my breath in, and to be ready to meet her as she stepped upon the deck, smiling and making my best bow, which was now vastly finer than some months before, when I first made it to her ladyship no doubt we were both a good deal changed. She seemed to have shot up like a young comely tree. She had now a kind of pretty backwardness that became her well, as of one that regarded herself more highly, and was fairly woman. And for another thing, the hand of the same magician had been at work upon the pair of us, and Miss Grant had made us both bra, for she could make but the one Bonnie. The same cry, in words not very different, came from both of us, that the other was come in compliment to say farewell, and then we perceived in a flash that we were to ship together. "'Oh, why will not baby have been telling me?' she cried, and then remembered a letter she had been given, on the condition of not opening it till she was well on board. Within was an enclosure for myself, and ran thus.' Dear Davy, what do you think of my farewell? And what do you say to your fellow passenger? Did you kiss or did you ask? I was about to have signed here, but that would leave the purport of my question doubtful, and in my own case I ken the answer. So fill up here with good advice. Do not be too blate, and for God's sake do not try to be too forward. Nothing acts you worse. I am. Your affectionate friend and governess, Barbara Grant." I wrote a word of answer and compliment on the leaf out of my pocket-book, put it in with another scratch from Katrina, sealed the whole with my new signet of the Balfour Arms, and dispatched it by the hand of Preston Grange's servant that still waited in my boat. Then we had time to look upon each other more at leisure. Which we had not done for a piece of a minute before, upon a common impulse, we shook hands again. katrina said i it seemed that was the first and last word of my eloquence. You will be glad to see me again, said she. I think that is an idle word, said I. We are too deep friends to make speech upon such trifles. Is she not the girl of all the world? She cried again? I was never knowing such a girl so honest and so beautiful, and yet she cared no more for Alpin than what she did for kale stock said I Ah, oh, yes, she will say so indeed, Cries Katrina. Yet it was for the name and the gentle, kind of blood that she took me up and was so good to me well i will tell you why it was said i there are all sorts of people's faces in this world there is barbarous face that every one must look at and admire and think her a fine brave merry girl and then there is your face which is quite different i never knew how different till today you cannot see yourself and that is why you do not understand but it was for the love of your face that she took you up and was so good to you AND EVERYBODY IN THE WORLD WOULD DO THE SAME. EVERYBODY, SAID SHE, EVERY LIVING SOUL, SAID I. AND THEN THAT WILL BE WHY THE SOLDIERS AT THE CASTLE TOOK ME UP, SHE CRIED. BARBARA HAS BEEN TEACHING YOU TO CATCH ME, SAID I. SHE WILL HAVE TAUGHT ME MORE THAN THAT AT ALL EVENTS. SHE WILL HAVE TAUGHT ME A GREAT DEAL ABOUT MR. DAVID. "'All the ill of him, and a little that was not so ill either, now and then,' she said, smiling. "'She will have told me all there was of Mr. David, only just that he would sail upon this very same ship. "'And why is it you go?' I told her. "'Ah, well,' said she, "'we will be some days in company, and then, I suppose, good-bye for altogether.' i go to meet my father at a place of the name of helvet and from there to france to be exiled by the side of our chieftain i could say no more than just oh the name of james more always drying up my very voice she was quick to perceive it and to guess some portion of my thought there is one thing i must be saying first of all mr david said she I think two of my kinfolks have not behaved to you altogether very well. And one of them, too, is James Moore, my father, and the other is the laird of Prestongrange. Prestongrange will have spoken by himself or his daughter in the place of him, but for James Moore, my father, I have this much to say. He lay shackled in a prison. He is a plain honest soldier and a plain highland gentleman. What they would be after he would never be guessing, but if he had understood it was to be some prejudice to a young gentleman like yourself, he would have died first, and for the sake of all your friendships I will be asking you to pardon my father and family for that same mistake. Katrina said I, "'what that mistake was I do not care to know. I know but the one thing, that you went to Preston Grange and begged—' my life upon your knees. Oh, I can well enough it was for your father that you went, but when you were there you pleaded for me also. This is a thing I cannot speak of. There are two things I cannot think of into myself, and the one is your good words when you called yourself my little friend, and the other that you pleaded for my life. Let us never speak more, we two, of pardon or offense. We stood after that, silent, Katrina looking on the deck, and I on her, and before there was more speech, a little wind having sprung up in the west, they began to shake out the sails and heave in upon the anchor. There were six passengers, besides our two selves, which made it a full cabin. Three were solid merchants out of Leith, Kirkcaldy, and Dundee all engaged in the same adventure into high germany one was a hollander returning and the rest worthy merchants wives to the charge of one whom katrina was recommended mrs Gebby, for that was her name was by great good fortune heavily incommoded by the sea and lay day and night on the broad of her back we were besides the only creatures at all young on board the rose except a white-faced boy that did my old duty to attend upon the table and it came about that katrine and i were left almost entirely to ourselves we had the next seats together at the table where i waited on her with extraordinary pleasure on deck i made her a soft place with my cloak and the weather being singularly fine for that season with bright frosty days and nights a steady gentle wind and scarce a sheet started all the way through the north sea we sat there only now and again walking to and fro for warmth from the first blink of the sun till eight or nine at night under the clear stars the merchants or captain sang would sometimes glance and smile upon us or pass a merry word or two and give us the go-by again but the most part of the time they were deep in herring and chintzes and linen were in computations of the slowness of the passage, and left us to our own concerns, which were very little important to any but ourselves. At the first we had a great deal to say, and thought ourselves pretty witty. And I was at a little pains to be the beau, and she, I believe, to play the young lady of experience. But soon we grew plainer with each other. I laid aside my high-clipped English what little there was left of it and forgot to make my edinburgh bows and scrapes she upon her side fell into a sort of kind familiarity and we dwelt together like those of the same household only upon my side with a more deep emotion about the same time the bottom seemed to fall out of our conversation and neither of us the less pleased while she would tell me old wives tales of which she had wonderful variety many of them from my friend Red-Headed Neil, She told them very pretty, and they were pretty enough childish tales, but the pleasure to myself was in the sound of her voice and the thought that she was telling and I listening. Whilst again we would sit entirely silent, not communicating even with a look, and tasting pleasure enough in the sweetness of that neighborhood. I speak here only for myself, Of what was in the maid's mind I am not very sure that ever I asked myself, and what was in my own I was afraid to consider. I need make no secret of it now, either to myself or to the reader, I was fallen totally in love. She came between me and the sun. She had grown suddenly taller, as I say, but with a wholesome growth. She seemed all health and lightness and brave spirits and I thought she walked like a young deer and stood like a birch upon the mountains. It was enough for me to sit by her on the deck, and I declare I scarce spent two thoughts upon the future, and was so well content with what I then enjoyed that I was never in the pains to imagine any further step, unless perhaps that I would be sometimes tempted to take her hand in mine and hold it there but I was too like a miser of what joys I had, and would venture nothing on a hazard. What we spoke was usually of ourselves or of each other, so that if any one had been at so much pains to overhear us, he must have supposed us the most egotistical persons in the world. It befell one day, when we were at this practice, that we came on a discourse of friends and friendship, and I think now that we were sailing near the wind. We said what a fine thing friendship was, and how little we had guessed of it, and how it made life a new thing, and a thousand covered things of the same kind that would have been said since the foundation of the world by young folk in the same predicament. Then we remarked upon the strangeness of that circumstance. The friends came together in the beginning as if they were there for the first time, and yet each had been alive a good while, losing time with other people. It is not much that I have done, said she, and I could be telling you the five-fifths of it in two to three words. It is only a girl, I am, and what can befall a girl at all events? But I went with the clan in the year forty-five. The men marched with swords and firelocks, and some of them in brigades in the same set of tartan. They were not backward at marching, I can tell you. AND THERE WERE GENTLEMEN FROM THE LOW COUNTRY WITH their TENANTS MOUNTED AND TRUMPETS TO SOUND, AND THERE WAS A GRAND SKIRLING OF WAR-PIPES. I rode ON A LITTLE HIGHLAND HORSE ON THE RIGHT HAND OF MY FATHER, JAMES MOORE, AND OF GLENGALE HIMSELF. AND HERE IS ONE FINE THING THAT I REMEMBER, THAT GLENGALE KISSED ME IN THE FACE, BECAUSE, SAYS HE, MY KINSWOMAN, YOU ARE THE ONLY LADY OF THE CLAN THAT HAS COME OUT, AND ME A LITTLE MAID OF MAYBE TWELVE YEARS OLD i saw prince Charlie too and the blue eyes of him he was pretty indeed i had his hand to kiss in front of the army oh well these were the good days but it is all like a dream that i have seen and then awakened it went what way you very well know and these were the worst days of all when the red-coat soldiers were out and my father and uncles lay in the hill and i was to be carrying them their meat in the middle night or at the short sight of day when the cocks crew yes i have walked in the night many's the time and my heart great in me for the terror of the darkness it is a strange thing i never have been meddled with by a bogle but they say a maid goes safe next there was my uncle's marriage and that was a dreadful affair beyond all Jean K. was that woman's name, and, and she had me in the room with her that night at Inversnaid, the night we took her from her friends in the old, ancient manor. She would, and she wouldn't. She was for marrying Rob the one minute, and the next she would be for none of him. I will never have seen such a feckless creature of a woman. Surely all there was of her would tell her, I or no. Well, she was a widow and i can never be thinking a widow a good woman katrina says i how do you make out that i do not know said she i am only telling you the seeming in my heart and then to marry a new man fie but that was her and she was married again upon my uncle robin and went with him a while to kirk and market and then wearied or else her friends got caught of her and talked her round or maybe she turned ashamed at the least of it she ran away and went back to her own folk and said we had held her in the lake and i will never tell you all what i have never thought much of any female since that day and so in the end my father james moore came to be cast in prison and you know the rest of it as well as me and through all this you had no friends said i no said she I have been pretty chief with two or three lasses on the praise, but not to call it friends.' "'Well, mine is a plain tale,' said I. "'I never had a friend to my name till I met in with you.' "'And that brave Mr. Stewart?' she asked. "'Oh, yes, I was forgetting him,' I said. "'But he is a man, and that is very different.' I would think so, said she. Oh, yes, it is quite different. And then there was one other, said I. I once thought I had a friend, but it proved a disappointment. She asked me who she was. It was a he, then, said I. We were the two best lads in my father's school, and we thought we loved each other dearly. Well, the time came when he went to Glasgow to a merchant's house, that was his second cousin once removed, and wrote me two, three times by the carrier, and then he found new friends, and I might write till I was tired. He took no notice. Eh, Katrina, it took me a long while to forgive the world. There is not anything more bitter than to lose a fancied friend then she began to question me close upon his looks and character for we were each a great deal concerned in all that touched the other till at last in a very evil hour i minded of his letters and went and fetched the bundle from the cabin here are his letters said i and all the letters that i ever got that will be the last i can tell you of myself ye know the lave as well as i do will you let me read them then says she i told her if she would be at the pain's, and she bade me go away and she would read them from one end to the other now in the bundle that i gave her there were packed together not only all the letters of my false friend but one or two of mr campbell's when he was in town at the assembly and to make a complete roll of all that was ever written to me katrina's little word and the two i had received from miss grant one when I was on the bass, and one on board that ship. But of these last I had no particular mind at the moment. I was in that state of subjection to the thought of my friend that mattered not what I did, nor scarce whether I was in her presence or out of it. I had caught her like some kind of a noble fever that lived continually in my bosom, by night and by day, and whether I was waking or asleep. So it befell that after I was come into the forepart of the ship, where the broad bows splashed into the billows, I was in no such hurry to return as you might fancy, rather prolonged my absence like a variety in pleasure. I do not think I am by nature much of an Epicurean, and there had come till then so small a share of pleasure in my way that I might be excused perhaps to dwell on it unduly when i had returned to her again i had a faint painful impression as if a buckle slipped so coldly she returned the packet have you read them said i and i thought my voice sounded not wholly natural for i was turning in my mind for what could ail her did you mean me to read all she asked i told her yes with a drooping voice the last of them as well said she i knew where we were now yet i would not lie to her either i gave them all without afterthought i said as i supposed that you would read them i see no harm in any i will be differently made said she i thank god i am differently made it was not a fit letter to be shown me it was not fit to be written "'I think you are speaking of your own friend, Barbara Grant,' said I. "'There will not be anything as bitter as to lose a fancied friend,' said she, quoting my own expression. "'I think it is sometimes the friendship that was fancied,' I cried. "'What kind of justice do you call this to blame me for some words that a tom-fool of a madcap lass has written down upon a piece of paper?' You know yourself, with what respect I have behaved, and I would do always. Yet you would show me that same letter, says she. I want no such friends. I can be doing very well, Mr. Balfour, without her, or you. This is your fine gratitude, says I. I am very much obliged to you, she said. I will be asking you to take away your... She seemed to choke upon the word, so that it sounded like an oath. You shall never ask twice, said I, picked up that bundle, walked a little way forward, and cast them as far as possible into the sea. For very little more I could have cast myself after them. The rest of the day I walked up and down, raging. There were few names so ill but what I could give her them in my own mind before the sun went down. All that had ever heard of Highland Pride seemed quite outdone, that a girl, scarce grown, could resent so trifling an illusion, and that from her next friend, that she had never wearied me with praising of. I had bitter, sharp, hard thoughts of her, like an angry boy's. If I had kissed her indeed, I thought, perhaps she would have taken it pretty well and only because it had been written down and with the spice of jocularity up she must fuff in this ridiculous passion it seemed to me that there was a want of penetration in the female sex to make angels weep over the case of the poor men we were side by side again at supper and what a change was there she was like curdled milk to me her face was like a wooden doll's I could have indifferently smitten her or grovelled at her feet, but she gave me not the least occasion to do either. No sooner the meal done than she betook herself to attend on Mrs. Geeby, which I think she had a little neglected heretofore. But she was to make up for lost time, and what remained of the passage was extraordinary assiduous with the old lady, and on deck began to make a great deal more than I thought wise of Captain Sang not but what the captain seemed to be a worthy, fatherly man, but I hated to behold her in the least familiarity with any one except myself. Altogether, she was so quick to avoid me, and so constant to keep herself surrounded with others, that I must watch a long while before I could find my opportunity, and after it was found, I made not much of it, as you are now to hear. I have no guess how I offended— said i it should scarce be beyond pardon then or try if you can pardon me i have no pardon to give said she and the words seemed to come out of her throat like marbles i will be very much obliged for all your friendships and she made me an eighth part of a curtsey. but i had schooled myself beforehand to say more and i was going to say it too there is one thing said i if i have shocked your particularity by the showing of that letter it cannot touch miss grant she wrote not to you but to a poor common ordinary lad who might have had more sense than show it if you are to blame me i will advise you to say no more about that girl at all events said katrina it is her i will never look the road of not if she lay dying she turned away from me and suddenly back will you swear you will have no more to deal with her she cried indeed and i will never be so unjust then said i nor yet so ungrateful and now it was i that turned away end of chapter twenty one